Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is right around the corner, and the time is now to make your preseason picks. Whether you're betting MVPs, division winners, or your championship contenders, BetOnline is the place to get all of the best odds, props, and parlays for the football season. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline. Where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always... A podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is August 17th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. We have got a fantastic show coming at you today. Bob Nightingale is back here on the show. You know Bob Nightingale, he's the big baseball reporter the guy who breaks news all the time. He goes on MLB Network. His Twitter has a bunch of followers. You should check out all of Bob Nightingale's stuff. He writes for USA Today as one of their lead senior baseball columnists. You can check out all of Bob's work. Uh, I guess the best place is his Twitter account, like I mentioned before, because he's a very, very big MLB writer. We've had him on the show a few times now, and Uh, Now that the trade deadline has passed by a couple of weeks, it felt like a great time to uh, welcome Bob back to the show. And when we talked to him back on Monday, Bob was in the middle of covering the breaking news that Chris Woodward, the Texas Rangers manager, had gotten fired by the Texas Rangers after just under four seasons working for the Texas Rangers. So we got breaking news live on the show to react to with Bob Nightingale. I'm very excited to bring him back on the show, and I hope you're very excited to listen to some baseball talk here on a Wednesday. Let's welcome to the Take It Easy podcast, friend of the show, Bob Nightingale. Joining us again here on the Take It Easy podcast, a friend of the show. His name is Bob Nightingale. You can check him out on USA Today. He does writing around Major League Baseball. He's on Odyssey Radio, and you can see him all over the place with all kinds of stuff. Also, follow his Twitter for all of the most up-to-date news, including the news that came in this afternoon that the Texas Rangers have fired Chris Woodward as their manager. So we have some breaking news to react to. Bob, welcome to the show. I'm sure the last hour has been exciting for you as uh, the news comes in and you get to be in newsbreaker mode. Yeah, it's a uh, you know Woodward was in uh, in trouble anyway, but the uh, to, to see it being fired now was kind of a surprise. I think they did it 
to see if Antonio Beasley, their interim manager, can handle the job. If he proves he can, he'll keep it. Uh, if not, they'll open up the search. But this is the fourth managerial firing of the season uh, until 2018, or since 2018. We haven't had one in-season managerial firing. Mm-hmm. And now if you add the the Angels who have gone into the tank and the Phillies and Blue Jays who have fired their managers, but they're still in the thick of the playoff race. Uh, obviously, Texas wasn't going to make the playoffs this year, but just the sheer number of in-season managerial firings is uh, a shift from the recent trend in baseball for sure. Yeah, as before, it's like, oh, hold on. You know, now I think with the uh, the first three for sure is they thought that uh, – Okay, the interim manager can make a difference. Obviously, it it backfired with the uh, Angels. You know, it did nothing. It gotten worse. Uh, where it, you know, it's made a big difference in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Rob Thompson's got them uh, in the playoff hunt, and also, of course, with John Schneider in, in Toronto. So for people who haven't been following this part closely, could you kind of explain a little better than maybe I could about how Texas over the last two years, they've built a new stadium and they've gone from we're spending a lot of money to we're not spending a lot of money and we're trading Lance Lynn, we're trading Mike Miner, we're trading Joey Gallo to all of a sudden within three months, now we're spending big money again. It's been a really unique four years for Texas if you think back to when Chris Woodward first got there. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, they got the new ballpark, gorgeous uh, ballpark, and uh, you know they dropped five hundred million dollars on the uh, on the shortstops with the Marcus Simeon. You know, now moving to uh, you know play second base, and, and of course, a uh, Corey Seager. Uh, so they expected more this year. You know, not to win the division, but to at least be competitive and be in a wild card race, and that hasn't happened. Yeah, it's been a, a strange little run for for Texas so far. Another team that I'm fascinated by as we go towards the the final six weeks of the season is the Cleveland Guardians because now uh, they they went from being a team that was falling apart a little bit in July to catching the Twins in the AL Central to now holding a two and a half game lead, which is really surprising. And you know they're they're one of these teams that they they trade players they switch the roster up and they always find a way to be competitive now obviously with uh the additions of Ahmed Rosario and uh Andres Jimenez in the Francisco Lindor trade and the fact that they're in first place is genuinely shocking for me yeah you know you thought to be at least competitive around a 500 ball club uh you know I don't think we saw anybody really saw the White Sox collapse or you know just mediocrity I should say uh the way they've been uh, twins, I mean, they're the only team that in the in division that made moves uh, trying to go for this thing, and yet it hasn't quite paid off yet. Where, like you said, Cleveland just continues to win, and uh, they got an easy schedule too. They're what 30 of their last uh, 48 games are home games, uh, don't you know, against some easy teams too. So, and they're built for the future, so whatever happens this year. They're only going to get, you know, be better, uh, you know, years from now. Do you think that the White Sox have kind of dropped the ball or what's the reason that Chicago has kind of fallen out of the picture entirely? Well, yeah, I wouldn't say entirely yet, uh, but they've been disappointing. I mean, they're just two and a half games out, uh, but just a 500 ball club. I mean, the pitching has been uh, outside Dylan Cease has, has been bad uh, offensively outside uh, Andrew Bond. He's the only guy. Uh, you know, living up or exceeding expectations. 
otherwise, it's just a, uh, you know, j- just a mess there. And I don't think they had enough, you know, prospects to go get some help. You know, I think also, you know, some of these teams, maybe Cleveland too, thought, you know, whatever moves we make, is it going to make that big of a difference to get to get us past the Yankees or Astros to get to World Series? Now that we're two weeks into the post-trade deadline part of the season, uh, is there a team that made moves that has really started to turn their fortunes around? Because obviously you said the Twins added a bunch of pieces, most notably trading with the Reds for three or four prospects, and uh, they they have not had the level of success they were hoping. Is there a team that bought at the deadline and they've seen those ramifications pay off? Well, I, I think certainly the... Uh... Seattle with getting uh, Castillo there has helped. Uh, you know, he's shut down, shut down the Yankees a couple of times now, and he'll be a real force if they make the uh, postseason. You know, the Padres made the big trade with uh, Soto and Josh Hader, and they've just been playing so-so ball since. Uh, you know, Philadelphia has made some, uh, uh, some nice improvements. Uh, you know, the Red Sox, even getting rid of Christian Vasquez, you know, they played some uh, some better baseball uh, uh, but late. But I think so far, you know, the biggest move has been getting that number one uh, pitcher in, in Luis Castillo from the Reds. And uh, if Seattle can get in the playoffs, you know, nobody wants to face him and Robbie Ray back to back. It feels like Seattle is not necessarily a lock to make the playoffs, but as all of the the teams battle it out for the last few spots in the AL East, it feels like Seattle's in, in pretty good position to make the playoffs now. They should be. Uh, something still have gone terribly wrong if they don't. Uh, they can't, you know, they can't afford to have a bad, you know, 10 days, two weeks, anything like that. So, I mean, they're in position to make the playoffs, but you, just, you never know. I mean, last year, who thought that Padres would crumble like they did down the stretch? Oh, of course. And, and you mentioned the Padres. Like you said, they've been playing so-so baseball the last two weeks, about 500, but... You know, they just jumped the uh, it was either they jumped the Phillies or the Brewers in the last couple of days. And they're now the the second wild card in the National League, at least for the yeah, time. Yeah, they passed the Brewers. Yep. Yeah, they, they passed the Brewers and they're at least feeling a little more comfortable given the uh, the news that Fernando Tatis isn't going to be back. Uh, so is there anything super interesting for the Padres beyond? Obviously, we now kind of know what the final roster is going to look like. No, just pretty much getting their, uh, you know, starting pitching together. Uh, they've been a little uh, erratic. Uh, Hater should be perfect for that for that bullpen. And I think just the uh, the offense to make sure, uh, you know, everything's everything's steady. I mean, so do I, obviously a, a huge addition. Need other guys to step up now too. Um, you know, Josh Bell has scuffled since he got there, but you know, still got you know five six weeks now to get him straightened out. So the Brewers and the Cardinals played an interesting series this weekend where the the Cardinals ended up winning two out of three games. And I was interested by that because most people feel like the Cardinals will win that division and Goldschmidt's going to win MVP and they'll at least be some kind of a threat behind the the three best teams in the National League. Um, I don't know if you watched any of those games this weekend or had any thoughts about the Cardinals and how they've played so far coming out of the trade deadline. What would you make of what's going on in the NL Central? Yeah, it's a fun two-team race, you know, because the division's so weak. That's why they both could make the playoffs. Uh, you know, beating up on you know on Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and the Cubs. 
so yeah, it was a uh, a great series, great uh, great pitching. Uh, you know, pull holes. You know, shows that he still has it. That was fun to watch. Uh, Corbin Burns is still, you know, the, the Cy Young type candidate, just like a year ago. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, Wainwright. You know, Wainwright pitched fantastic uh, the other day. So I think for the do- for the Cardinals to surprise people and go past the first round, they probably need Wainwright to uh, really be the Wainwright of old. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at that because Adam Wainwright is again like 40, 41 years old and he's still carrying a, a big workload for that starting pitching staff, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but just, you know, flirted with a no hitter for over seven innings the other day. And, uh, you know, he's been erratic, but when he's on, you know, he's a uh, one of the top pitchers in, in the National League. So they could really, uh, they could really use uh, Jack Flaherty. If Flaherty can come back uh, down the stretch, he'd be a huge help for those guys. And when I think of the Milwaukee Brewers, who are who were in the playoffs, you know, going into the weekend, and now they're not in the playoffs, but they're they're obviously right in the mix. I obviously think of Yelich being in the leadoff spot, and he he's had a good year. I, he has that something like a seven thirty OPS this year. The last time I checked, so he's he's been a. a Pretty good player, but not the the best hitter on a playoff team. So, if not for Yelich, who do you think is the best hitter on the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, I wouldn't even say Yelich is. I think he's you know uh, you know they expect a lot more, particularly when he won won the MVP and uh, gave him that money. So he's had a very you know mediocre year, and I, I think you know more disappointing really. Uh, that's the thing; they haven't had that solid guy. You know, Roddy Telez. Uh, has been as consistent a, a, as anybody. Um, McCutcheon's performed better uh, of late, but I think that's where the Brewers' problems are. You know, they just haven't had uh, that that steady force from from any position. And uh, you know, certainly Christian Yelich isn't the same guy that he carried that you know the franchise on his back for a while. Uh, you know, he hasn't done that for a couple of years. And so, just like last year, it's built on the pitching staff and it's built on the bullpen for Milwaukee. Is kind of what I'm hearing as we go towards the playoffs. Yeah, you know they're trying to uh, you know keep it keep it together too for the future. Uh, you know, if they if money was no object and uh, you know they thought they could uh, you know get some more help in the future, they wouldn't have traded Josh Hader. I understand why they wanted to. Uh, they thought they'd get away with it. It's still with the division without him. But, you know, that was a big piece. And I think maybe the front office underestimated just how important he was in that clubhouse. That's interesting that you mentioned that because I know at the deadline, most of Milwaukee's moves were for bullpen pieces. Like they got Matt Bush and obviously flipped Hater for Taylor Rogers. Uh, I thought it was interesting that if if the offense is still a bit of a concern that they they place such an emphasis on improving the bullpen obviously losing hater it's hard to sound like it's an improvement but they got a, a, a very good closer in taylor rogers who's now like an eighth inning guy I, I think that's interesting that they place so much emphasis on the bullpen yeah but i mean i think just trying to uh offset some of the hater loss you're not gonna offset josh hater i mean outside uh you know, edwin diaz is the only guy you can even compare him to uh hater has been the best closer in baseball the last you know since 2017 2018 so, you know, they're trying to piecemeal together. Obviously, they blew a bunch of games after the hater move, but they should have got some uh, offensive help. Um, there are pieces out there, uh, you know, they could have obtained and didn't. Yeah, so I think they're, they got one eye in the future, one eye in the present. But, 
you know, looking at the future may, may cost him a playoff berth this year. So going over to the National League West, we talked about the Padres a bit. The Giants surprisingly stood pat. I mean, relatively speaking, they still have Carlos Rodon. They still have Jock Peterson, and maybe they plan to re-sign them this offseason. I I just thought it was interesting, the moves that the Giants made at the deadline, too, knowing that they weren't going to catch the Dodgers, but just trying to either commit to a sell or or keep trying to win games. Obviously, they flipped Darren Ruff for J.D. Davis, who's been playing relatively well since getting to San Francisco. But for the most part, they they stood pat at the deadline. Yeah, I mean, they didn't sell. You know, and uh, you know, they, they dumped some guys, uh, some guys who were you know injured, really, like you know Trevor Rosenthal and those guys. Uh, so I think they they didn't want to commit to uh, making a run, and they didn't want to just give up either. So I think that's why they. Uh, they stood pat, uh, saying like, "Okay, if things fall right, you know, we can get it. We can get in. If not, no big deal. You know, we'll, uh, you know, make a big move in, in the uh, off season in, in trying to get things together. I think there'd be major players in the off season, and that's what they're really looking forward to is adding some pieces." Yeah, and I think that everyone's going to connect the dots with Aaron Judge, but there's a whole bunch of different pieces the Giants could go for, and. You know, even after the 107 win season, they've maintained a lot of flexibility in that roster, which, uh, you know, when a team wins 107 games, the temptation might be to to bring everyone back and give Chris Davis a big contract. But they've they've stayed flexible. And I guess they're waiting for the right guy to come along to to build money or to spend money on because the Giants are one of those teams that for at least a good part of the last 10 years has been in the top five in payroll. Yeah, I think, you know, in the, in the payroll, he's in as high as it, as it was a few years ago. So I think they will go get a shortstop. You know, they can, uh, you know, move Brandon Crawford to a different position. Uh, he's got one more year on that deal. There's too many great shortstops out there, you know, with the, uh, you know, Carlos Correa there and Trey Turner and, you know, Bogarts on and on. Uh, they got to get one of those guys because uh, this, this would be their best opportunity, you know, to find a, uh, a great replacement for Crawford. So on the other side of, uh, I guess, the, the division at this point, the Dodgers are firmly in first place. They're dominating everyone. Uh, I'm interested by their choices because their lineup is now a lot of like heavy hitting guys who hit for low averages. If you think about Cody Bellinger and Joey Gallo and Max Muncy, you know, that makes up a third of their lineup. I thought it was interesting that the Dodgers went that route in building out the rest of the team because obviously they're their lineup has eight all-stars on it and it's very, very good. I was just interested by the having three guys in the lineup. who are all hitting below 200. Yeah. The only guy they added was uh, Joey Gallo, who of course had big time struggles with the Yankees. Uh, I, I was very surprised. He didn't get a pitcher, either a starter or a, a reliever or both. Uh, you know, they've had a, uh, some problems in the back end there. Uh, you know, well, you know, with the uh, Kimbrel has been very shaky all season long. In come October, maybe they, maybe they believe that Dustin May will, you know, bounce back and uh, he can give him five, six innings a start. And, you know that, um, uh, you know, Kershaw. Of course, Kershaw's injury came after the trade deadline, so you know whether he'll be back or not. Uh, you know, so we'll see. Uh, I just if they don't have those some of those injured pitchers come back, I just wonder. Uh, you know, how scary they'd be in the postseason. You know, obviously the best regular season team out there, but, you know, is, is there anybody in that rotation uh, that, you know, is going to really scare you? 
And a big part of the reason the Dodgers fell apart last year in the playoffs was because Scherzer got hurt. Walker Beeler got hurt. Uh, Dustin May had Tommy John during the regular season, and now he's going to be back for the playoff run. But uh, maybe that's the same concern over again. Although <laughs> before Dustin May got hurt, he was pitching so well. And, you know, Tom, they say, Tommy John, you've got like a 50, 60 percent chance of returning to the, the player you once were. So I think if if Dustin May comes back, that's a solid ad- addition of a, a number two or a number three starter come playoff time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If they can, uh, if they get him just even, you know, being the, in the bullpen, uh, it'd be a huge lift. So, uh, I mean, it used to be a very scary rotation. They just, you know, don't know about Kershaw. I mean, when does he come back? When he comes back, you know, just how you know, great will he be? Uh, you know, and probably the most key guy of all, Walker Bueller. I mean, when Bueller, Bueller's healthy, he's just, you know, one of the top pitchers in all of baseball. But he wasn't right all season. Then he got hurt. Uh, you know, I'm not sure you can count on him uh, come postseason. The the last point I will uh, ask you about is your tweet from yesterday about how uh, Aaron Judge is by far the MVP of the American League this year because of how valuable he's been to the New York Yankees team this year. So I will cede the floor to you to to talk about just how incredible of a season Aaron Judge is having, you know, regardless of whether he hits 60 homers or not. Yeah, I mean, here's a guy betting himself, turned on the uh, $213.5 million contract this spring and uh, rewarded for it. I mean, here's a guy, he's got the Yankees on his back. Uh, you know, Stanton's been out. You know, Donaldson has uh, been erratic. Aaron Hicks has kind of disappeared in center field and on and on. But he's the only consistent guy and, uh, you know, kind of carrying that team. Uh, you know, and he's got a real chance to break the American League record, uh, which is Roger Maris, you know, the great Yankee with, with 61 home runs. I think right now his pace is about 65 home runs. So, yeah, to me, MVP is, you know, how valuable you are to your team. And, you know, you got to be at least in contention for a uh, a playoff berth. I mean, all the games he's playing, there's there's pressure involved. Uh, you know, I know, you know a lot of talk with Shohei Otani, uh, but it's not the best player award. The best player award, you know, you give it to Otani, you know, uh, be able to you know hit and pitch as well as he has. And obviously, uh, you know, they'd be they're horrendous enough, but it'd be really a bad team to watch without him. But I think sometimes the uh, the voters and people, you know, forget, you know, the word valuable, what that means. It's not best. If it was simply the best player award, you know, we should have given to Barry Bonds every single year he played. And I have one more point about the Yankees. I know we always talk about how home field advantage is important. And I feel like that usually gets overblown when talking about uh, sports and the conversation of like how athletes think about going into the playoffs, but it does feel like the Yankees really, really want that home field advantage against the Astros in the playoffs. It feels like something that matters to them, given what happened in 2015, 2017 and 2019 when they've lost to the Astros. All of them. I mean, 2015, they were at home, but the other two years they were uh, obviously on the road against Astros teams that had the best record in the regular season. Yeah, completely agree. I think it's a lot more important for the Yankees to get that than the Astros because the Astros are proven, hey, they can win at Yankee Stadium. The booing doesn't bother them you know, at all. Uh, I think it means a lot more to the Yankees just to get some kind of advantage over the Astros because if there's one team that can beat the Yankees, as we've seen all year, it's the Astros. And they played seven games this year. 
Uh, and even though the Yankees, you know, Yankees won two of them, but never once did they ever come to uh, to bat with the lead. Uh, you know, the Astros, uh, you know, led or tied every every uh, every uh, inning, and just had the two blown two blown saves that count up the two losses. But they just dominated uh, those seven games, particularly with the starting rotation. Bob Nightingale, thank you for stopping into the podcast once again. I always appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to you sometime soon. All right. My pleasure. Thank you.